We are in the book of Acts, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We're going through the book of Acts. If you have a need a Bible, raise your hand. But if you could rise for the reading of God's Word, we are in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Verse 1, now Peter and John went up together to the temple at that hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful to ask for alms from those who entered the temple and who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. They knew that it was the one who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement. At what had happened to him. Let's pray. Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus that you would give us, uh, just open up that window to heaven, Lord, that we may see with wonder and amazement the many wonderful works that you do in and through us, Lord, even as we're following the Lord Jesus Christ, believing on Him and have our eyes fixed on Him. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. Actually, before we begin, I'm going to call a young lady by the name of Adlai Cole up here. Adlai, will you please come up here? Okay. Why don't you come right here, right over here. Hey, what happened to your hair? Anyway, I know what happened to her hair, but anyway, she is going down to Peru, and she's going to be there for the next month, and as we do when we send off people on missions trips, we embarrass them by having them stand up so you can look at them and just have that image of them in your mind so you can pray for them. She's going to be there for uh, a whole month. Uh, ask, uh, just ministering with Brian Vandercody and his wife Betty. Brian was recently here teaching us the, at the men's retreat and also down with Jaime Inga. There's a church plant down there. She's going to be there for five weeks. And so remember to pray for Adelaide when uh, during this next month she's coming back uh, in early July. Actually, why don't we pray for her right now? Father, I just pray for Adelaide and we pray, Father, we just release her to you, to your to your care, to your protection. And I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would use her. Lord, use her to just touch the, the people, the children down there of Peru with grace. Lord, that she's going to be uh, 
working with. I pray, Father, that you would uh, teach her grace and grow her up in grace. And Lord, give her that perseverance that is needed, needed out on the field. And Lord, I pray, Father, that um, you would just give her that sense, Lord, that sense of your promise that you'll never leave her or forsake her. I pray, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Very good. Remember to pray for Adlai. Also, tomorrow, uh, Memorial Day, we are having a we are having a uh, a barbecue at the Brooks House for, uh, among other things, in addition to celebrating Memorial Day, and thankful for those who have given their life for uh, our country. It's also a, a goodbye uh, time for goodbye to. Peter Cadet, who is, was up here playing the keyboard today and is so faithful, has been so faithful ministering here at the church. He's uh, going off to get his Ph.D. in, in is it Washington, Peter? I, I didn't think you could get a Ph.D. outside of Boston. Is that, <laughs> is that possible? Oh, okay. So that's where he's going. And also um, Rich Fiola, who has just blessed us so much uh, uh, on the guitar in many other ways, uh, Rich as well is uh, going off to, to to Bible school to get some Bible training. If God wills, he will be uh, returning. But want to uh, send him off as well. What time is that? One o'clock. One o'clock down in Foxborough. So it's about an hour away. We will be providing transportation. You can be up uh, at our house. Uh, up in Mission Hill at noon, we'll be taking the church van down there to Foxborough. Okay, Acts chapter 3. So in Acts chapter 1, if you uh, remember, after Jesus' resurrection, but prior to him being taken up into heaven, he told his disciples, do not depart from Jerusalem. But wait on the promise of the Father. Wait on the promise. What uh, is the promise, or what was the promise from the Father? It was the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, John, For John truly baptized with water, but you, refer, and then referring to the promise from the Father, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So the coming of the Holy Spirit, that was a big deal. That was a big deal, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, Jesus' disciples had proven that they were utterly incapable of being the men of God that they had been called to be. Now, during his three-year ministry, Jesus had told his disciples repeatedly. He had told them, whoever desires to be great among you shall be your servant, and whoever desires to be first shall be the slave of all. Yet, at the Last Supper, the night before he was crucified, what did they do? Luke 22, verse 24 says, there was a dispute among them as to which of them would be considered the greatest. They had proven themselves to be incapable of the men that God had called them to be. A little while later, at the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asked them to watch and pray with them. What happened? They fell sound asleep. 
short time after that, when he was arrested, Matthew 26, verse 56 says, All the disciples forsook him and fled. Shortly after that, in Matthew 26, verse 69, it says that when the Apostle Peter was outside in the courtyard at the house where Jesus was being tried, a servant girl, a servant girl, said, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. Peter denied it, saying, I don't know what you're saying. Verse 71 says, another girl saw him and said, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I don't know the man. Verse 73, another said, surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. And since at that point, Peter began to curse and swear, saying, I don't know the man. The next day, Jesus was crucified and buried, and the book of John said the disciples went into hiding. These men were not behaving like the men of uh, who God called them to be. You know, Luke chapter 9, verse 26, Jesus said, For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man shall be ashamed when he comes in his own glory. Well, they were captive to shame. Matthew sixteen twenty five. Jesus said, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Saving their life seemed to be the only thing they cared about. They needed the Holy Spirit. The coming of the Holy Spirit was a big deal. They were never going to be the men and women God had called them to be without Him, the Holy Spirit. So Jesus said in Luke, 24 verse 39 right before taken up to heaven wait in the city of jerusalem until you are cloaked with power from on high that word power in the greek is the word dynamis from which we get the word dynamite they needed that dynamis that power the holy spirit because frankly they had shown themselves to be powerless without him So in Acts chapter 1, indeed, we see the disciples waiting just as Jesus told them to do. By this time, they had flopped enough times. They know they needed that. They needed something else. And so they waited. In Acts chapter 2, it happened. The coming of the Holy Spirit with the sound of a mighty rushing wind. The Holy Spirit came upon them. The apostles became utterly different men. Peter, in verses 14 through 36 of Acts chapter 2, gets up before thousands. And he boldly declares the word of God. The shame Peter had to be associated with Jesus vanished. The fear gone. The foot and mouth disease that Peter so badly suffered from cured. Oh, how we need the Holy Spirit. How we need Him to be the men and women who God has called us to be. How we need the Holy Spirit. The Lord has set before you a wonderful, abundant life. Hebrews chapter 12 calls it a race. 
Jeremiah, it's called a wonderful plan. But the Bible makes clear you'll never be able to run the race in your own strength. You must become so utterly dependent upon the Lord. On His strength, on the working of the Holy Spirit in and through you in order to accomplish, in order to run that race that is set before you. In Luke 11, Jesus says, If a son asks for bread... What father would give him a stone? How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus said, ask and the Holy Spirit will be given to you. So in Acts chapter 2, Peter's given the Holy Spirit. He's transformed into a different man. He gets up, declares the word of God to the crowd. What happens? Verse 37 says they're cut to the heart and they cry out, what do we do? What are we going to do about this, this word that you're giving us that we fall so short of? To which Peter says in verse 38, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What he's saying, what he was, what he was really saying was this: You've been fighting God. You've been fighting Him. You need to put down your arms and embrace Him, His own, and His only Son Jesus, who died for you. He who died for you to give you life. And you know what Peter makes so crystal clear, and we talked about this in the last couple of weeks in his sermon in Acts chapter 2, is that the people before him were guilty. He doesn't soften up on that point one bit. And we'll see in chapter 3, he doesn't stop. He doesn't start softening up as he goes along. If anything, he got even more crystal clear. You are guilty. You're guilty before God. You've been resisting God to the point that you killed him you say well that's a terrible sin killing god no different than yours the bible says every one of you came out of your mother's womb fighting god and his word you grew up resisting his will resisting his law fighting against his plan for your life to the point where you did what was necessary to eliminate him from your life. Might as well have been a crucifixion. You did what it took to shut him out, to shut him up. So when Jesus says in verse 36 of chapter 2, you crucified this Jesus who is both Lord and Christ, the Bible says that actually we're guilty of the same thing. We'll do what it takes to eliminate the Lord. Peter's message in verse 38, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin is a message for the whole world. If you've never repented, if you're sitting here this morning, you have never repented. You have never turned around. You have never uh, changed your mind about who is Jesus and what place uh, he has in your life. It's time to repent. If you've been fighting God, if you've tried to shut God out of your life, or at least parts of your life, if you'd uh, tried to eliminate Him from your life, wipe Him out, you'll never win the battle. 
Turn around. Change your belief system. Align it with Him. He'll give you the grace to do it. Come to Jesus. He will, he will receive you with a perfect love. And He'll give you a new life. Verse 41 says, 3,000 souls accepted this. And then verse 46, it says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And so we get to chapter 3. It says in verse 1 again, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. That's our three o'clock, the ninth hour is. Verse 2 says, And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. He was a beggar. In chapter 4, verse 22, we read that this man was over 40 years old. I was thinking about this verse. Imagine the dedication of someone bringing this guy to the temple, carrying him. They didn't have wheelchairs. Bring him to the temple every day, every single day, so that he could ask for arms in order to survive. Verse 3 says, He, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. Look at us. Verse 5 says, So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. He was thinking, oh, they're going to they're gonna give me money or whatever. Verse 6 says, then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he leaping up stood and walked and entered into the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So we read that this man had been taken to the temple every day. Which leads to a question. Why didn't Jesus heal him? Jesus came to the temple many, many times over the course of actually a number of years. Actually, his whole life, Jesus had been coming to the temple. Why didn't he heal this man? In a different part of Galilee, I mean, rather in a different part of Israel, in Galilee, we read, for example, in Luke 4.40, that all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And there's a number of times it says that about Jesus. Every single person who was laid before him was healed. Why 
that was in Galilee. Here we are in the temple in Jerusalem. Why didn't Jesus heal this man? Because God had a plan for this man. A plan that involves, we will see this in a few minutes, a plan that involves leading thousands to the Lord. But the plan had for this man, listen carefully, involved what? Waiting. Ah, don't tell me I have to wait, God. Don't tell me that. I can assure you this man today, living in heaven, is so glad he waited, that God waited on answering that prayer. Sometimes it seems the Lord walks right by us not responding to our need. Lord, why not now? It may be the Lord has a greater work for you, but the only way that the greater work will be accomplished is through waiting. So again, it says in verse 9, the response to this, all the people saw him walking and praising God, and that they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Verse 11, now the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John. All the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's porch, greatly amazed, it says, greatly amazed. Now, those two words, greatly amazed, is the one Greek word, ekthambos. This word can also be Translated, actually, terrified, filled with dread. And the root word, actually, in Greek means rendered immovable. So why were they, why were they reacting like this? Well, because they knew this guy. For years and years, this guy was in the very same place, just laying there. I remember the first job, full-time job I ever had. I worked at a courthouse, and there was a homeless guy who lived on the steps of the courthouse. He lived there out of protests, like homeless rights, that type of thing. And he just lived there. And everyone knew his name. They slapped five with this guy on the way into the courthouse, and everyone actually loved the guy. But he wasn't going anywhere. Actually, one time, someone there was some... Talk about maybe uh, trying to, to move him. And there was an uprising at the courthouse. <laughs> Come on, let the guy stay there. Right? But every, it, he was just a fixture there. And so was this guy. So when people see him leaping in the air, it says in verse 8, he was walking, leaping, and praising God. He's doing the Barishnikov. The people were rendered immovable in shock. So verse 12 says, when Peter saw it, saw what? Saw the people with their jaws wide open. You know, look at this. When Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Peter's saying, listen, this is not about me. Now remember the night before Jesus' death. 
Jesus said what to his disciples? All of you will fall away this night because of me. That's in Matthew 26, 31. What did Peter say? Even if all the others fall away, I will never fall away. Me? Never. Very different spirit in Acts chapter 3, verse 12, don't you think? Why do you look so intently at us, at me, as though by our own, my own power or godliness, I have made this man walk? Now, what is that? Why the change? You want to belabor the point? It's actually the Holy Spirit belaboring the point. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.23 says, The fruit of the Spirit is meekness or humility. Humility always turns the spotlight on the Lord. Humility recognizes it's not about me. And underlined there, he says, It's not about my power or my godliness. The fruit of your life has nothing to do with your godliness. And oh, how we get deceived into believing that because something is happening in and through our life, oh, you know, it just has to be something, something about, oh, just the purity of my walk or something. No! Peter says, why do you look on me so intently as if by my own power or my own godliness? Underline that. It has nothing to do with your godliness or power. Oh, how many times are Christians have I been put on the shelf because I, I, I get this notion that, oh, yeah, I, I must be really coming along with the Lord. Because of this fruit that's, that, that's you know, uh, budding up around my life. No, Peter is saying. Look over at chapter 4. No, actually, um, ooh, where am I here? actually, let's read, let's read now verses, uh, at, at verse 12 again. It says, so when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go, but you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murder to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the death of which we are all witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. 
So again, Peter says in verse 13, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified His servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate. So you may say, Peter, you must be kidding. You are accusing these people of denying Jesus? What about you, Peter? You denied uh, Jesus, Peter. How could you possibly be accusing these people of that after what you did? I'll tell you how. Because the Holy Spirit had come upon him. Listen, the number one ministry of the Holy Spirit The Bible says at the instant you pray and ask Jesus into your life, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The number one ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer is the ministry of grace. Grace which is ours in Christ. In Matthew, the book of Matthew, after Peter had denied Jesus three times, It says that after he had done so, he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. How does someone recover from that? How does someone recover from doing something like that? How do you ever lead a productive life for the Lord after doing something like that? Well, they can't unless they come to Jesus Christ and are given the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will minister grace into your life. He ministers grace. Turn over to chapter 4, actually verse 33. Look at that verse. Chapter 4, verse 33, it says, And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great Grace was upon them all. Great grace was upon them all. What came before the great grace? It says there in that verse, great power. Where did the great power come from? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit ministers grace. What is grace? Grace is undeserved, never to be deserved, favor. And listen, this is such a powerful message here. This message will, uh, here in Acts chapter 3, will revolutionize your life. How can you encourage someone to be sexually pure when you haven't been? How can you confront someone for stealing when you've stolen? How can you instruct someone in how to have a good marriage when you your marriage failed? How can you talk to someone who has been grievously unfaithful to the Lord when you have been grievously unfaithful to the Lord? Only after you've been immersed, covered, bathed, in the grace of God. That's why Jesus refers to in Acts chapter 1 as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's the promise. 
when he talks about the promise, he says it's about the baptism. Baptism means to immerse. You have to be immersed in the grace of God. And that is not just holy, holy people happens to them only. No, it's everyone. You are entitled as a privilege of being a child of God to be immersed by and in the grace of God through the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, you can actually be the messenger of grace to a person in an area of their life which you have miserably failed in. That is powerful. But here's the deal. As one who has failed, you'll deliver the message not with condemnation, but with love. When the Apostle Peter declares to these people, you denied him, he knew the pain. He knew the shame. He knew the condemnation. And he knew the bitter weeping that accompanied it. But he also knew about the forgiveness and the liberty and the freedom that God had given him from that sin. You parents, you got to get this right. Or else you will be robbing your children of godly parenting. You know, how, how can I tell my teenager about being sexually pure when I had not been as a teenager? It's the grace of God. How can I tell them the importance of, uh, of being staying faithful to the Lord when I haven't been. That's the grace of God. It makes the message so much more powerful, so much more relevant. How many parents have just, have just stopped and, and, and shut their mouths because... You know, oh, how could I tell them about this when I feel so miserably? I'm telling you, again, you're robbing your kids of godly instruction, of God's best. You, of all people, are qualified to do that, do that as you, even as you've been bathed in the grace of God. And you know the bitter weeping that accompanied your sin. Verse 19. It says, repent therefore and be converted. That means changed. That your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Peter could deliver this message because he lived it. He knew what it was like to have his sin blotted out. He knew what it was to have Times of refreshing come from the Lord. He knew what great grace was about. Don't live your life on the shelf. Don't do it. 
Don't live your life on the shelf because of some failure, because of many failures that you have had in your life. God wants to use them and use you in such a powerful way as a minister of grace. If you've given your life to Christ, the Bible says you've received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and with the Holy Spirit there is power, and with that power there is great grace. Chapter 4, verse 33. Great grace. Repent, verse 19, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. It also can be translated wiped away, obliterated, erased. In the book of Hebrews, the word uh, used for what Jesus did with your sin was purged. He purged us of, us of our sins. And when a harmful bacteria makes its way into your physical body, God designed you in such a way that your physical body will purge that thing, that bacteria or whatever, from you. Same idea with sin. Through Jesus' death and resurrection and inviting Him into your life, sin is purged. It's blotted out. And that's, again, that's what, um, that's what happens. Verse 19 also says, times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So when you receive Jesus as your Lord, it says your sins are blotted out, and by a supernatural recognition of that, but the fact that you're all of a sudden God awakens your mind and you you realize, wow, my sins have been blotted out. It says times of refreshing comes from the Lord. And, you know, I don't want to bore you with, with word studies. I've already introduced a few of them today, but the Greek word for this word, refresh, it means to cool off, to refresh, to cool off, like something recovering from a heat wave. You are in the pressure cooker of life. You are in the boiler room called the world. You're in that blazing hot desert of the daily grind. There is one who can cool it all off. Times of refreshing. It's actually used in Greek literature for what happens when wind refreshes. It's pretty cool. It says, times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Like that cool, that cool breeze. It's also um, is the word that's used for someone recovering their breath. And that's how life is. It's like, <laughs> well, it's that one breath that, you know, you're getting it back. That's this word. That's what happens when we ask the Lord, when we ask Him, Lord Jesus, I want all of you come into my life. It says times of refreshing. It's like the oxygen max will be put on your life so you can just cool out. Repent, therefore, and be converted. Your sins will be blotted out in times of refreshing. Refreshing will come from the Lord. Verse 20 he continues on, he says, And that he may send Jesus Christ, who is preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Verse 22, For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me 
from your brethren. So what Peter's doing here, he is quoting Old Testament Scripture, whom they, uh, which they were well aware of, which uh, clearly, uh, which clearly spoke about a prophet, a Messiah who was to come. Peter's quoting that and just saying, "Look, this Jesus fulfilled that." Verse 23, it says, And it, it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many have spoken, have also foretold these days. All the prophets, all the Old Testament pointed to those days, Peter is saying, the days where Jesus uh, lived, was died, was resurrected. Verse 25, and you who are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God uh, made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of earth shall be uh, blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Now, verse 1, chapter 4, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captains of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in, in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So the, 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 the very thing that Peter feared prior to receiving the Holy Spirit happens to him. But as we'll see, he's perfectly okay with it because he's going to be, he's going to be let out and in chapter 4 he's going to go right back doing the same thing, declaring the word of the Lord. That is what the, the, the Holy Spirit does in our life. Fear of man, vanish. Shame, gone. Verse 4, however, many of those who heard of the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. So they were in a time here where there was just an amazing thirst for the word of God. There was an amazing thirst for God. Nothing else had worked. And they were going three times a year as every Jew required to Jerusalem. And, and they were involved in many religious kind of practices. And they were out there. And they, this was a time actually of great prosperity in the Roman Empire. They were getting satisfaction from none of it. They wanted God. And, we, and brothers and sisters, we live in a time like that. Where people are learning and understanding that pro prosperity brings them no satisfaction. Religion, no satisfaction. What they need and want is, is, is a relationship with the Lord. And even as we wait upon the Holy Spirit, ask Him to be filled. The Bible says, Jesus says, ask the Father. He will give you the Holy Spirit. Even as we too live out this life by the power and dependence upon the Holy Spirit, we too will have just the privilege and are having it today and now of satisfying the thirst of people around us. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And times, that times uh, of refreshing may come from the Lord even as, as people begin to understand that their sin can be blotted out. Okay, we will pick up 
uh, in Acts chapter 4, verse 5. Uh, next time we're uh, going through this, now why don't we ask just the worship team to come up and let's uh, close in prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for this just ex- exciting, Lord, word that through the ministry of grace, Lord, we can become ministers, even in those very areas that we have failed in so miserably, Lord. Father, we ask that you come upon us with power, that you fill us with the Holy Spirit. Lord, that our lives, that our words, Lord, could be an attraction to those who have the same thirst for something else. Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would give us just the fullness of that understanding, of that life of grace. Lord, you say in your word that our grace strengthens, rather that your grace strengthens us, Lord. Show us what that means. Lord, your word says that we are under grace, and therefore we don't have to have any sin have dominion over us. Show, it what, show us what that means, Lord. Show us what that life of grace means, Lord God, so that we can impart it, Lord, even as we go out today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay.